Hello again, Perspectives podcast listeners, and welcome to the bonus episode. Not every topic is easy to talk about, but I feel some sort of responsibility, both as a current public health student and as a soon-to-be public health professional, to not shy away from those topics. We can't do our work, we can't make change, we can't address the systems and forces that harm our communities without doing just that, talking. For this bonus episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Jill Collins, someone who sees the importance of conversation and the value of highlighting topics from a public health perspective to discuss an important, not to mention relevant, public health topic, abortion. Hi, Jill, and welcome. Thanks for joining. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for having me. I'm truly so excited to be here. Good to hear. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Again, my name is Jill Collins. I use she, her pronouns. And I was born and raised here in the Twin Cities area. Currently, I'm an abortion patient advocate and also a health educator. And I could literally talk about the importance of sexual health and equitable access to sexual health services and education all day and every day, <laughs> because it is something I did not receive much of in my Catholic education. It felt kind of shameful to ask questions or talk about in school or even at home. So this is something that I love talking about. And I think that's why we get along so well. Exactly. <laughs> so how did you get to where you are today? I just received my master's degree in public health from the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities in August of 2022. And that's how we know each other. We got connected through. It was the reproductive justice seminar something during spring of 2022, I think. Which I was like, okay, this girl seems super cool. <laughs> so I got to reach out to her. <laughs> So I had majored in community health promotion and also minoring in sexual health. And I got my bachelor's from Drake University in 2013 in psychology with a minor in intimate relations. That was a minor I created myself. Cool. Yeah. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be working with people. And I have been working in the public health field since 2012 in various roles. My mom was an OB-GYN nurse practitioner And I had told her throughout my childhood that I wanted to do what she does, but I didn't want to do like the exam parts of it. When my tooth got pulled out, I would throw up like immediately because I saw blood and I was like, well, I can't be in the medical field necessarily. Blood, other bodily fluids just kind of freaked me out. And I was like, I would just like have conversations with people. And my mom, she's now retired, but she was a full scope of services provider. Mm -hmm. So she would work infertility one weekend in that she would be helping people become pregnant who wanted to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then the next weekend she would be working in abortion care, helping people who were pregnant that did not want to be pregnant, be not pregnant anymore. So (laughs) during the week she worked full-time seeing patients for birth control, you know, pap smears, anything you would need to see an OB-GYN for. Like if you got a tampon stuck, you might have to go in and see someone like my mom. So I had a really good role model for knowing that that's something that's of importance that needs to be discussed routinely throughout someone's life. And also just seeing that that's what healthcare is. It's the full scope of services. If somebody wants to be pregnant, let's help them get pregnant. If somebody doesn't want to be pregnant, let's help them prevent that. Or if they're already pregnant, let's help them not be. When I went off to college to Des Moines, I graduated with my bachelor's and then I got my first job at a call center for a Planned Parenthood affiliate that no longer exists. Unfortunately, those clinics were absorbed into other affiliates. And so I was working at a call center 
talking with people about their reproductive health needs, scheduling appointments for anything and everything, STI testing, pregnancy testing. We had someone I remember called to be like, my boyfriend got hit in the balls really hard. Can he still have babies? And I was like, I don't know. Can I schedule you an appointment? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it was a really good first full-time job experience to have, especially when I was so passionate about sexual and reproductive health care. That's always really been my passion and access to all services. Another part of that was like, I also got to talk to people from different states where there are different laws surrounding abortion. The states that we had at the time was Iowa, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. And it was primarily in Iowa that we were providing abortion services or at least scheduling them Mm because Arkansas and Oklahoma did not have abortion services. Or I guess Arkansas did, but it was only the medication. Got it. So you got to be exposed to the individual and interpersonal level of care. And then also you got to be exposed to the larger scale policy level. Yes. Right. And, you know, people would share a certain extent of their stories as Mm -hmm. to why they needed this care. And it was just like, let's just get you scheduled because you need this. And we want to make sure you get there. Totally. Let's help you get there. So then after a year or so of working at Planned Parenthood. Then I moved back to the Twin Cities in the fall of 2015. And my mom had brought my resume into the clinic where she worked in abortion care, Robbinsdale Clinic PA, which Uh is amazing because it's like this little family run clinic as well. It's a family practice that also provides abortion services. When she brought my resume in there, I didn't hear anything for a few months. That was fun. I was like, okay, they just don't have anything available. And then right after the new year of 2016 is when the provider reached out to me and said, hey, we have a position open for full-time. But at that point, I had been working a full-time job and I was doing really well in that role. And I was working full-time for a nonprofit that specializes in autism and mental health, which kind of fed my psychology background. Mm -hmm. And I was doing more client services. So again, like guiding people through the process of getting in for services. And when this provider reached out to me, I was like, I can't really do the full-time position, but is there any other chance that I could help out in any other way? She had said, what about Saturday mornings? And I was like, done, I'll be there. So I was able to keep my full-time job, but then also be working part-time on Saturdays as an abortion patient advocate or counselor. And I've been there coming up on eight years. So I've been doing the part-time work for eight years, but then I just started as a health educator in July of 2021, which I discovered through the Reproductive Health Alliance of Minnesota. Cool. Now I work as a health educator in some of the local public high schools because there are school-based clinics in some of our schools here in the Twin Cities. That's really awesome that they have someone like you to be teaching them. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so before we get more into your work as an abortion patient advocate and abortion counselor, mm-hmm. I think it'd be helpful just to go over some abortion basics. So definitely, what is abortion? An abortion is either when the body of a pregnant person determines the pregnancy cannot continue growing for whatever reason. And that pregnant person then miscarries, or it's when someone who is pregnant decides that being pregnant is not what is best for their life at that time, or maybe ever, and seeks out care from a medical provider to end and remove that pregnancy from their body. Okay. And what are the various types of abortion? And what does that process look like? There's a few different kinds of abortion that 
would love to talk about. (laughs) I mentioned miscarriage, which is also called a spontaneous abortion. So abortion in general should be inclusive of miscarriages as well. And we don't really know what all causes spontaneous abortions or miscarriages or even how frequently they occur in pregnant people because we don't have the best methods of recording exactly when those happen. Because if somebody doesn't know they're pregnant and they miscarry, maybe they just think it's a really heavy period. Mm -hmm. So we can't count all of those. There's varying information as to like how many pregnancies end in a miscarriage. Is it one in four, like 25% of pregnancies? Because we don't, we can't count them all. A lot of people are thinking it's more like one in two. So maybe 50% of pregnancies are spontaneous abortions. But then the other kind of abortion would be what we would call an elective abortion. This is when someone decides to end and remove a pregnancy from their body. And there's two ways that this happens. It's an in-clinic procedure, which has been called a surgical procedure in the past. But I tend to not use that language because there's no surgery Mm -hmm. involved in an abortion procedure. I feel like the community has tended to stray towards it's an elective abortion in general or the in-clinic procedure. But there's also the medication abortion where a pregnant person takes a series of pills that ends a pregnancy, whereas the in-clinic is going to be provided by a medical provider. Okay. How long have people been obtaining abortions? So abortions have been happening since people have been able to become pregnant which is forever. So (laughs) there's been various methods as to how this has happened in the past. And then laws started happening. But really, the earliest recordings that we have of abortion is dating back to 1550 BC in Mm. Egypt. So it's actually one of the oldest known medical practices to humans. The in-clinic procedure, a vacuum aspiration, Mm -hmm. did not take place until probably 1700s, 1800s. Or so it was a combination of herbs or medicines that were being used as abortifacients. So it's really interesting to kind of think about people have always wanted to have control over their bodies and when things happen to their bodies, Mm -hmm. it's been forever. And just because there have been efforts to restrict that does not mean that people have stopped obtaining them. Exactly. Even with what we've seen happening across the country, people are still going to access abortion no matter what. So why does someone seek an abortion? Excellent question. There's infinite amount of reasons why people seek abortion. There's no wrong answer really Mm -hmm. from my perspective as to why someone is seeking an abortion. They need healthcare. That's really the end all be all to abortion care. We all make decisions about our lives every single day that are best for us individually, as a couple, as friends, as a family, like Raising a child comes with a lot of responsibility. Giving a child up for adoption comes with a lot of responsibility. Having an abortion comes with a lot of responsibility. Like there's so much that goes into all of this. And when we don't have equity in accessing essential resources to raising a child, that becomes a lot more difficult and stressful and what could be harmful. People could be having an abortion at different gestational ages for very different reasons. If somebody doesn't know that they're pregnant until they're 16 weeks pregnant, that that's not going to change their mind. Somebody else that discovers that they're 16 weeks pregnant would be like, nope, I'm too far along into a pregnancy. I don't feel comfortable having an abortion, even though that might be the best decision for my life overall, but it's my decision. So I'm choosing to continue. And it's like, great. I want you to do that. 
yeah. whatever is best for you in your life. Totally. And what are the risks of abortion? I mean, the risks of an abortion are low. Abortion is considered one of the safest medical procedures in existence, uh, whether that be the medication or the in-clinic procedure. So the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, their acronym is ACOG. ACOG states that it's safer than getting your wisdom teeth out, safer than going in to get a cancer screening colonoscopy, Mm. uh, or even plastic surgery. So abortion is safer than all of these procedures. Only Mm -hmm. about 2% of people who go through abortion experience complications, which might include treating an infection. Another complication could be a need for a blood transfusion, or in very rare cases, a need for surgery. There is a wonderful organization that has an excellent fact sheet that highlights the safety and effectiveness of the medication abortion. It's the Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Health. But first trimester medication abortion, like the medication abortion is not recommended beyond the first trimester. So past 11 weeks, and they highlight really important pieces of how safe the medication abortion is. It's safer than taking Tylenol or Viagra. So really some commonplace medications. And what about compared to childbirth itself? Childbirth is considered 14 times more dangerous than abortion. Is the risk of complications 14 times higher or the risk of death 14 times higher? It's actually maternal death. Okay. The risk of maternal death associated with childbirth is 14 times higher (laughs) than the risk of abortion. When abortion is provided by licensed medical providers in a medical facility. Right. What are some common misconceptions about abortion? I think the biggest misconception, as we were just talking about, is that abortion is not safe, that it's Mm -hmm. an unsafe procedure, that having an abortion can make you infertile. I think the other ones, that abortion is murder, it's not at all. It's people making a decision for their lives that's going to better their lives in many different ways. Another one that I have talked to Wendy Hellerstadt our wonderful professor in the maternal and child health departments at the University of Minnesota, right? Shout out. One of the best classes I've ever taken. So informational. She had testified because there was language that providers needed to say prior in Minnesota, we did have a 24 hour waiting period where providers had to read a script that was filled with misinformation that included that having an abortion increases your risk of breast cancer. So I know Wendy testified to get that removed and it was removed. That's another thing where it's like, I can look on some websites that are filled with misinformation on abortion that will still have that language. I think another misconception is that the people who are working in abortion care, the providers, uh, the scheduling folks, the people that are working at the front desk are forcing people to have abortions. That's not the case either. It couldn't be more different. If somebody is coming in to see us and I get them to counsel and they are crying and they don't know what they want to do and they need more time, I'm going to tell them to go take more time that I don't want them to be there to have an abortion that they are going to regret. So if you need time, let me get you a workbook. You go home, you work on that with whoever you want. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's your partner. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's your friend. Like, I don't know who you need, but if you need someone to, let's make sure that you 
get access to resources of other people that have been in the same position as you. I think that's one of the big things that is so misunderstood, especially by people that don't agree with abortion. They just see people that provide abortion services as the worst kinds of people. But we're very empathetic because we just want to make sure that people are getting what they need. We're here to provide health care for them. And if they don't want to come back and see us, they don't have to. It's their choice. They're making that decision for themselves. I think another one is that the people that are having abortions are irresponsible. Why don't they just take birth control? Why don't they just use a condom? Why didn't they just not have sex? That's not for me to decide. Again, they made that decision for themselves. Maybe birth control failed. And they tried every possible way to prevent pregnancy. But so then they should just automatically be enrolled to be a parent because everything they tried didn't work. Or maybe they don't like using birth control at all. They're Mm -hmm. just not supposed to have sex. They're not supposed to do something that brings pleasure and joy to their lives. And I know we can talk about in instances of rape and incest, some people don't want to allow abortion in those instances. And it's like, I understand people who may want to continue a pregnancy after rape, but there's some people that are like, I need to close that chapter of my life so I can move on in whatever ways I need to move on. So the comment about people who have abortions are irresponsible. I find that so frustrating because I feel like people who access or try to access abortions, if they're thinking that that's what's best for them, that's actually a really responsible thing to do. You know, it's like you're utilizing the services that are out there for you. You're making a decision that you've come Mm -hmm. to on your own. Right. They've considered everything else that's going on in their lives. And they're like, this is what I need right now. Yeah. And I'm, I, I have to imagine that because we don't have sufficient sexual health education as when we're growing up in our schools, that it makes it really hard because these misconceptions are so entrenched because we don't know otherwise, or a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know otherwise, or don't necessarily have someone like your mom who's able to provide that education if you don't get it from your Catholic school. Um right. So that makes your role as an abortion counselor and also now as a sex educator really valuable. So I guess with that, what makes that role difficult? What makes it so wonderful and important to you? So I think what makes my job specifically as the abortion counselor difficult, I mean, there's a few things and they tend to be more external factors rather than internal like I have to warn our patients about protesters at our clinic I have to tell them they're going to be there they're going to be in front of our clinic you don't have to talk to them they're not allowed on our property where my clinic is is it's in a residential neighborhood so there's houses around us and the house that's right next to us was bought by the catholic church down the street So there's a giant crucifix in the front yard and they've also built a deer stand in the backyard. So then they have signs up talking about abortion pill reversal, phone number to call, but somebody will like pop up sometimes like on the other side of the fence and like scare patients. There's nothing that we can do about this, unfortunately. Because they're Um, outside of the private property line. Right. That's what I find kind of difficult about being an abortion 
counselor or a patient advocate starts with like, I have to go out of my way to make sure that people make it safely to our clinic. But then we also have to warn our patients about the crisis pregnancy center that's across the street from us. Mm. Our clinic is Robbinsdale Clinic PA, mm-hmm. but there's a clinic clinic. I'm putting clinic in finger quotes, right? Yeah. Uh, clinic right across the street called Robbinsdale Women's Center. So, and that's not a coincidence that they chose that name, but it's a crisis pregnancy center. These quote unquote clinics are set up mm-hmm. to dissuade people from choosing abortion. There's 90 of them in the state of Minnesota, <laughs> crisis pregnancy center. And how and many abortion clinics are there? Currently there are nine. We just had one move over from Fargo because mm-hmm. abortion was outlawed in North Dakota. So money was raised to move this clinic over to Moorhead so they can continue their practice there and still get their patients access because Fargo is just over the river. So these crisis pregnancy centers, they are run by anti-abortion folks. And what they do is they set up their services to be free or low cost and to misinform patients of their choices and where they can go for actual medical services. Because more than half in the state don't refer for prenatal care services. Well, and if there are patients that are going in to these clinics without knowing what other services are out there mm-hmm. and without really understanding any of their options. Right. Nearly all right. of the choice is eliminated. Right. And if there I is any semblance of it, then it it, it becomes eliminated. Exactly. Yeah. Like I've had patients come in to our clinic and tell us, I initially called the Robinsdale Women's Center and I went for an appointment there and they didn't even tell me about you. And I'm so mad that like when I did find you, I was like, that clinic's right across the street and Mm -hmm. didn't even tell me Mm -hmm. like that because that's their intention. They don't want you to go across the street to our clinic where you're going to get care and referrals for whatever else you might need. Maybe you want birth control after your abortion and you want an IUD. We don't do those. So let's make sure that you have all the tools and resources that you need. They also don't provide information on contraception at all. So even if somebody does take a negative pregnancy test, they're not going to sit down with them and say, hey, here's your options if you don't want to become pregnant. They're not doing that either. So it's, it's just frustrating because it's like we do so much to go out of our way to make sure that patients come to us and receive the healthcare that they need and deserve. But then there's this huge landscape of misinformation that they have to wade through to even get the the right phone number or the right website. That's not filled with shameful language or misinformation. So combating misinformation really is, is a difficult part, which I mean, not only comes from, crisis pregnancy centers but patients telling me the misinformation that they think is correct that they've heard from whatever various resources and then they feel like they need to like justify their decision to me too and it's like you're here because you're here and you need this and whatever the reason is you don't have to tell me but there's some patients that feel so much shame and guilt around their decision that's kind of the flip side that's what makes it important to me is I get to dismantle misinformation Mm -hmm. and actually give them accurate medical information, but then also give them empathetic care where it's like, you know, 
I get why you feel like you want to explain your entire circumstances for needing to be here today, but whatever your circumstances are, that doesn't matter to me because I just want to make sure that you get taken care of and mm-hmm. that you're able to go on and live a happy, healthy life from here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, stigma, kind of dismantling that stigma too, where it's like, do you know how normal this is? It's really, really normal. And it's, fine and like if you have to come back again like I know sometimes if patients are coming in for the first time they'll say like hope I never have to come back here and it's like well me too but also if you do like we'll be here exactly we're gonna help you out yep (laughs) I always think it's so interesting this goes back to the crisis pregnancy centers but you know like there's so much strategy on their end where they're placed what they're called how they're designed I grew up in Milwaukee and on Farwell Avenue there is an abortion clinic called Affiliated Medical Services. Nondescript building. It has a dark red awning. It doesn't really stand out amongst all the other businesses next door. And you can barely see that it says Affiliated Medical Services. And right across the street, there's this bright pink awning, flashy decals on the windows. And it says Women's Care Center or Pregnancy Care Center, something like that. And if you wouldn't know what it was, you'd think like, oh, that looks like a really supportive place to go get mm-hmm. pregnancy care. I'm going to go right. there because it said that I'm supposed to come to Farwell or someone told me that I can get this care at on Farwell Avenue or whatever. And then right. it's like, that's the one on Farwell Avenue. I'm going to go in here, you know, or someone does know that the abortion clinic is there, but then they see across the street, this more welcoming one. It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. there's doesn't seem like there's that as much. That must be the place. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. that's a issue of its own. Absolutely. Thinking about this conversation too, I have to give a shout out to anybody that is a clinic escort. Yeah. We so appreciate what our clinic escorts do there. I know we're like on the front lines doing really important reproductive health work, but they are the front line of that because they are getting yelled at by protesters for supporting people that are really just they're accessing healthcare. you know mm-hmm. like it's so I'm so thankful for we have clinic escorts every single day so that's kind of made the difficult part of being the abortion patient counselor easier to say like there are going to be people in our parking yeah. lot they are in rainbow vests they are safe you can approach them but anybody else you don't have to talk to mm-hmm. And I think I have to tell, I don't know if I've told you this before, but like, so the clinic where I work is a family practice clinic. So we've had a lot of COVID-19 shots, COVID-19 boosters. My parents have both gone in to get their doses and everything. And that's where I've been getting my updates as well. Mm-hmm. And so I went in for my last one and I parked in the front lot and I normally park in the back where employees park. And because I'm female presenting mm-hmm. a man, a man at the end yells at me there's a clinic across the street you can go there not knowing like what I'm actually going in for at all and I turned to him and I was like it's a fake clinic (laughs) I don't ever interact with protesters either that was my moment and I was just like yeah you don't know me you're never gonna know me leave me alone you don't know what I'm here for yeah shout out clinic escorts Yes. yes we love you Yes. So moving on to the laws around abortion. Yes. 
tell us about the Dobbs decision. Really unfortunate, especially when, let's see, today's January 26th, Sunday, last Sunday, the, what was that, the 22nd, would have marked the 50th yep. anniversary of Roe. But unfortunately, we didn't make it to that. So on June 24th, 2022, is when the Supreme Court issued their decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, indicating that abortion is not a constitutional right, which is what Roe versus Wade in 1972 had determined. What this means now is that the right to an abortion is not protected at the federal level, and it is now up to the state to determine if they will ban or continue to provide abortion services because each state has their own constitution. So each state could say this is against constitutional rights of this state. And kind of thinking a little bit more about that, according to the Guttmacher Institute, as of, I just looked this up, January 10th of this year, we now have 24 states that have banned abortion or are likely to do so. Initially, after that decision was overturned, they initially predicted that it was going to be 26 states. But after the election in Michigan, they have now made abortion legal and accessible, determined by their constitution. And the same thing in South Carolina. I'll send you the link to this too, because it was, I mean, it's brand new. And then it shows the states that have banned abortion. And it's just ridiculous to see Minnesota just like this little floating island surrounded by states that have restricted it. Before we get on to Minnesota, what is the mm-hmm. what, what are the implications of restricting or completely banning abortions? We talked about a little bit about maternal mortality rates. So once abortion is banned in a state, we're likely going to see that maternal mortality rate go up because mm-hmm. people are going to try to have abortions in whatever way they can. People can't afford to travel for an abortion or pay for the abortion itself. You know, like in Iowa, somebody needs to come to Minnesota for an abortion. They can't use their insurance, their state insurance, because it's not going to be covered here. I mean, there's so many different ways that people won't be able to afford getting somewhere else for an abortion. So they're going to try to do it themselves, which then if we think about like if a pregnant person dies, then what happens with that fetus, that pregnancy? Also not going to make it either. So we're just going to see death rates increase. We're looking at the South, they're already not great. And there's going to be bigger racial disparities. The Black maternal mortality rate, it's absurd. Why are we still seeing this? I mean, I know why, because there's systems put in place to ensure, like, why don't we believe women? Why don't we believe people that have a uterus that are able to become pregnant when they say that they need something or that something isn't going right for them? Why are we not believing them based on the color of their skin? It's healthcare. Like we treat people because they need it. When we take away abortion, abortion doesn't go away. That's the truth. Abortions have been happening forever and they're they're not going to go away just Mm -hmm. because you put a policy in place saying, oh, it's illegal Mm -hmm. to do that. Yep. And the, that risk that we were talking about, how childbirth is 14 times mm-hmm. more dangerous than mm-hmm. obtaining an abortion, mm-hmm. that changes completely when we're talking about abortions that are illegal. That's when the mm-hmm. risk increases. Right. Exactly. 
let's think about before 1972. That's where we are again. We yep. went back in time. If you don't want to have an abortion, then don't have an abortion. But you can't tell anybody else what to do. Especially since you don't even have a uterus. <laughs> right. You don't even know. You have no idea. Yeah. So with overturning of Roe, with the Dobbs decision, how does that impact miscarriage management? Because as we were talking about earlier, miscarriages are also known as spontaneous abortions. Mm-hmm. It sure is. So there's, I've heard a few stories on NPR specifically mm-hmm. uh, where people are sharing their stories of I'm having a miscarriage and I couldn't get care. And so I bled out and I went to the hospital and I was turned away however many times. So I almost died because I wasn't able to receive the care that I needed. People are denied that care because there's still quote unquote a heartbeat, but it's an electrical pulse. I guess not even a pulse, it's electrical activity still present, but that doesn't mean a heart's beating. So when we hear heartbeat bells, there's no heart that has not formed at six weeks. But that's what impacts care for spontaneous abortions. Like there was an excellent story where a pregnant person was having to travel for, I think it was like a family wedding and they had to travel across states and they were told that they were having a miscarriage, a spontaneous Mm -hmm. abortion. And then they were told that they had some options. Like you can do a dilation and curatage, which is removing the contents of the uterus. Or you can let this happen naturally. And she had chose to have it happen naturally. But then she started hemorrhaging. And she was in another state on her road trip where she went to the hospital a few times and was denied care and told to go home. And then she, she shared that she was in a bathtub because she was bleeding so much. Thank goodness she survived. But she did not get the care that she needed. So... Mm -hmm. Some people might even question if you are coming in for care for a miscarriage, you could be arrested in some states because it's like, how did that happen? There's no way for them to detect that you took a medication abortion in any way. But like I mentioned earlier, we don't know why miscarriages happen. Mm -hmm. We don't know all the answers to this. So do you criminalize people for having their body do something naturally? Like what's, what comes after that then? They're denying equitable access to care. And what does it look like in Minnesota? After the Dobbs decision, that was what, end of June. Mm -hmm. And so at the beginning of July, there was a court case in Minnesota that essentially sought to overturn all of the restrictions that we had in our laws which included 24-hour required waiting time, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The script that I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. that had been changed, but there was a script that was mandated by the state that all providers had to have with their patients at least 24 hours prior to their abortion appointment. There was also the dual parental notification for minors as well. And that's, I mean, using the word notified is even annoying because it was consent at that point. Both parents had to show up at the appointment, both signed the form, 
bring the birth certificate of their minor and then also provide their ID. And if both parents weren't able to be there, they had to provide documentation as to why that other parent could be there. Or the other parent would have to submit something in writing saying, here's my signature. I'm not able to be there today for X, Y, Z reason. But then if a minor did not want to tell their parents, they had to go through the judicial bypass, which means they would have to go in front of a judge that they don't know, lead their case as to why they don't want to tell their parents, get a sign off from that, and then they can go have an abortion without telling their parents. But they will have had to publicly say, this is why. And it's going to be on some sort of record. So thankfully, Haley, this was all overturned. We now don't have a dual parent notification. We now don't have a 24-hour waiting period. We also don't have to provide the state mandated script. One of the other things that was a requirement in Minnesota was that an MD provide abortion services, and that also was overturned. So now any advanced practitioner is able to get training and can provide abortion services. So that could be a nurse midwife. That could be my mom had she stayed in practice. So I think we're going to start seeing our little haven of abortion states continue to expand access because we know right after Dobbs is overturned, every single clinic in the state saw an increase in out-of-state patients. Unsurprisingly, people are coming from all over. And there's already a limited number of clinics. So that means that there's a limited number of MDs who can provide that. So to expand the number of service providers to include NPs, PAs, and other practitioners Mm -hmm. is one really, really big step that Minnesota is taking. It's refreshing, especially after the Dobbs decision. Mm -hmm. Now we have the opposite of that in Mm -hmm. Minnesota. So thankful. I mean, I cried because a patient can come in and take a pregnancy test and we don't have to tell her that she has to leave. She can just stay. If we have availability on the schedule, she can just stay. It just has become way more accessible. Mm-hmm. In Minnesota. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so you recently testified at the Capitol. I did. That was In very Minnesota, exciting. Yeah. Thank you what for watching. What was that like? Uh, powerful very much a Veronica Corningstone mm. from Anchorman moments of like power. Yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. So there is a bill, House File 289, and I testified in favor of this bill because it seeks to move funding around a little bit because part of our laws, there is a Positive Abortion Alternatives Act that was put in place in the early 2000s by a Republican governor, Tim Pawlenty, and it enables state funding to go towards crisis pregnancy centers. So there's about three and a half million dollars per year of state taxpayer dollars that go to support these crisis pregnancy centers that we've mentioned of over 90 across the state. So there was a bill introduced this year called the Positive Pregnancy Support Act. Um, And that would expand the information services and resources available to pregnant people through state-funded pregnancy support programs, require all state-funded services offered to pregnant people in Minnesota to be medically accurate and be delivered by an appropriate professional, 
lifted gag rule preventing state funding from going to organizations that have connections to abortion providers and also eliminates the language requiring grantees to attempt to influence the decisions of the pregnant people who come to them seeking counsel and care. And this is all coming from unrestricted Minnesota, which is a big lobbying effort to unrestrict Minnesota from all of the abortion restrictions that have been in place. So I testified in favor of that. I had actually, I don't know if I told you this either, but I had, um, I wrote that in the spring of 2022. (laughs) It was in my legislative skills for policy development class, which was a half semester class taught by Tracy Toomey. Again, shout out to her. Um, Incredible. But that was one of our assignments was to do oral testimony. Mm-hmm. And so throughout that class, we did different legislative activities. And in terms of like, we had to pick a, a law or a bill. And I, I had chosen the positive alternatives to abortion act as my law that I wanted to focus on and that I wanted to change. Um, and I was advocating for that change to be that that funding be reallocated to comprehensive sex education because we also don't have a comprehensive sex mm-hmm. education requirement in the state. So I actually wrote my oral testimony almost, what, this was what, eight months ago or so now. And so I just had to tweak it a little bit. It was very fulfilling because it's like I was literally trained to do this yeah. as a part of my master's program. So it was cool. That's awesome really getting your money's worth. And what else is happening at the Capitol? There's a lot of, now that the legislative session has started, it seems pretty chaotic over there. It does. And it's like, we only have until May and like, it's happening at very rapid pace. So there's this bill. There's also the PRO Act, which will codify abortion rights in Minnesota. All of what we talked about with everything being overturned, all of that was found to be unconstitutional. All of those restrictions that we had in place were found to be unconstitutional under the Minnesota Constitution. Mm -hmm. So now, thinking ahead to the future, if, like, as elections happen, we had a very positive election in Minnesota to have a House, Senate, and Governor all be Democrats so that all of these changes can happen and all very much in support of making sure abortion is protected. So the PRO Act will be heard in the Senate where tomorrow. January 27th. Yes. By the time this episode comes out, we should know yeah. the results of that. I mean, we'll know by the end of the day tomorrow, hopefully. So I definitely, um, I'm going to be there to support that as well. Um, there's a lot of other great things as well. There's the menstrual equity, menstrual products access to make sure that menstrual products are free in schools, which was also a bill last year, but it did not end up passing. And so now it's happening again. So lots of fun things going on in terms of reproductive health care and beyond that. So absolutely. So now that we have a little bit of background understanding of what abortion Mm -hmm. is. We have a little bit of context to what's going on in Minnesota. We now better understand how restricting abortion can perpetuate disparities and what some of the common misconceptions are. Another key theme has been the need for education Mm -hmm. and the importance, the value of education. What are some of those? What is some of that over that between the work that you do as an educator and the work that you do as a counselor? So I 
teach sex ed mm-hmm. weekly with seventh and eighth grade students. I remember asking the eighth graders, what did you talk about last year that you want to revisit again this year? And there was a hand that shot up so high, like immediately, like can't put it down. Like it is up in the air. Mm-hmm. Why do people want to ban abortion? And I was like, oh, we're just jumping right in, aren't we? <laughs> like, I thought we'd be talking about like, like how do you, um, uh, like how do you use a condom? You know, <laughs> but no, we're jumping into the deep end. So I do, I mean, I talk about anything from prevention to treatment. I had some students ask like, okay, we have plan B, but what's plan A? And I was like, plan B is cons- is a brand of emergency contraception. So we talk about that. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, okay, what's plan A? Let's think about that critically. And they were able to start saying protection. And I was like, okay, protection again. Like, I want them to be a part of this conversation. Some of them have heard of certain birth controls and some of them haven't. And then we were like, okay, but then what's plan C? What happens if plan A and plan B don't work? Then what's plan C? Mm-hmm. We talk about that as well. So, um, but we do, there are some questions that come up as to my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a question, do you believe in killing babies? And so I always tell my students that I don't share my personal opinion because it's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. But I always bring up what we were discussing about the maternal mortality rates. I tell them that my training is in public health. So from a public health standpoint, I want people to be safe and healthy and living their lives for the best that they can. So I want to see people survive. And when we take abortion access away, when we ban abortion, we see more people die. And that's when I bring up, like, if, if a pregnant person dies, then what happens to that pregnancy? And they will all say, like, they die too. And I'm like, yes. So then we have one person, one pregnancy that is no longer in existence. Mm-hmm. So that, and that's the thing is that person that died can't ever become pregnant again because they're not alive anymore. Mm-hmm. So even if they did want to have children at some point, they don't have that opportunity that's been taken from them. So there is a lot of overlap. And, you know, there's also overlap in, I do birth control education all the time, one-on-one with students in a clinic, but also with my patients at Robinson Clinic PA. The basic understanding of how does the reproductive system work? Do you know what's happening in your body when you have a period? Do you know how birth control is going to work in your body as well? Do you know what your options are? Let's talk about your options. Is taking a pill at the same time every day going to work for you? Or are you thinking you want to do something more long-term? How often do you want to think about birth control? What about mm-hmm. condoms? Do you have access to condoms? Do you know what you should be looking for when you're using condoms? When was the last time that you got tested? Is that something you're interested in? That's all a part of the conversation. It's with students, but then also with people seeking abortion care. Because there are some things that we'll be able to provide that same day in both of these arenas but sometimes it's like we'll have you come back or maybe we refer you to another location yes so you have your beliefs you have your personal opinions you have you would do one thing if you became mm-hmm. pregnant and didn't want to be because you have the information to make this decision yourself and it seems very clear that you're trying to offer that same opportunity mm-hmm. for your students right not just access to 
abortion to the service itself. It's access, yeah, to that knowledge, to that autonomy. Right, exactly. Like, I want you to make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. So here's the information that I have. And it's up to you to make that decision for yourself and what works best for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it hard sometimes to separate your own personal beliefs from the work you do with kids? Absolutely. I always check in with their teacher to be like, did I, was I obvious in how I feel? Because I really try to keep neutrality, but also explain to them, like, this is where I'm coming from. And I'm explaining this to you from my public health background. That is my job. And none of my students know that I work at a clinic that provides abortion services. And I don't want them to know that information necessarily. I want to make sure that I am encouraging students to maintain their own opinions but also consider facts that can help inform their opinions. Absolutely. Is there something that you know now that you wish you would have known at that age or something that you have taught them that you wish someone would have taught you at that age? I feel like consent, like we talk a lot about consent, like a lot, but I don't think it's ever enough. Mm -hmm. And that was not something that was brought up at all ever in any of the little education that I did get but then all that you can take consent away at any point in time this actually was a discussion recently with one of my classes where some of the cisgendered heterosexual boys in the classroom were saying well it's not fair they said yes up until this point and I was like it is fair if you're going on a date with someone, you can leave that date at any point, because mm-hmm. if it's not going well, you can be like, nope, I don't want to do this. It's the same thing with sexual interactions. I don't care if you're both standing naked or both or however many people you're involved with. Like if somebody doesn't want to participate, they can stop or be like, this doesn't feel good anymore. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And then you have to figure out within yourself, like if you still want to have an orgasm, how are you going to do that? without that person because they, they don't want to be involved anymore. That's not something that they took from you. I just want to make sure that you're getting the right information. So Jill, what can listeners, whether they are students or professionals or minors or not minors, what can we do to advance reproductive justice? What can we do to protect abortion rights? Get accurate information. Don't be fooled by disinformation, misinformation, you know, like it's, it's an opinion. If you have a differing opinion from somebody else, that doesn't mean they're wrong. Mm -hmm. That's a hard pill for me to swallow because people disagree with me and I can be like, well, they're wrong, Mm -hmm. but their beliefs come from some, some place and I can be respectful of that. But that just means that I don't have to push my beliefs on them and I'm not trying to, and I don't want that to happen or other people. So laws shouldn't be made to restrict access to healthcare. So definitely get in contact with your representative. It's so easy to do. You can send an email. Sometimes there will be organizations that will have email templates for you to send, like Unrestricted Minnesota. If you're living in Minnesota, connect with them. They uh, lead the Women's March. They did that over the summer after the Dobbs decision came down. There was a march that took place towards the Capitol in St. Paul, Minnesota. Get involved. Write to your to your representative because they listen. 
They want to know. And anti-abortion people, they're pretty loud. They Mm -hmm. definitely do this. So there needs to be a louder voice coming from the people that support us as well. Donate money, especially to the indie clinic. I work for an Mm. indie clinic. We are teeny tiny and the medical assistance reimbursement rate, it's not great. So advocate for that as well. Like we want to see better reimbursement rates from insurance companies. We want to see equitable access as well. Planned Parenthood is not the only clinic that provides abortion services. Mm -hmm. There's so many indie clinics, which we have, what, three, four Planned Parenthoods that are providing abortion services. The rest are indie clinics. Support them, donate to them. Robinsville Clinic has a donate button on our website. You can go there to donate however much you feel is appropriate or works best for you. Also, just know that reproductive justice is the, we want to protect the rights to have children, not have children, and raise the children that we do have in safe and healthy environments. So if you can ensure that that's happening in your communities by getting involved with your legislators, signing up to be a clinic escort, donate to where you can, that's all very much appreciated. So have conversations about it. It's uncomfortable, but that's how we learn and that's how we grow. And don't ever fault anyone for making a decision that's best for themselves. They're doing what they think is best. They know their lives best and better than you do. And they know what it would take to either raise their children or not have a child. Respect people's decisions, respect people's bodies, call them their right pronouns use the names that they want to be called know that it's not just women that get pregnant we have a lot of people that don't identify as women and god there's so much the list goes on Haley (laughs) that's a good starting point there's so much it's both daunting but also really exciting because that means that there's something that really anybody can do at any point and some of them are smaller some Mm -hmm. of them are take more effort and thought and commitment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Jill, for chatting Mm -hmm. so, so, so much. Thank you. This is so great. I love talking to you literally all the time. (laughs) You're so wise and you have a lot of really good experience. And I think that our pregnant population in this state is better knowing that you're there to support them Mm -hmm. and our, and our middle schoolers as well. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would, you'd like to share? Abortion is healthcare. Abortion rights are human rights. Support pregnant people in any decision that they make for themselves and their current children and any future children that they decide that they may want to have. Be a good listener. Try to help people the way that you can and don't judge people. Mm. It's not your life. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Jill. <laughs> we can attach some resources, the resources that you've referenced throughout the episode, Unrestrict, the Reproductive well, Alliance, um, yes. the sites of where you can go to find your legislators, yes. Robbinsdale, PA, all that. Mm-hmm. Good stuff to know. Awesome. Good stuff to yeah. have. Yeah. I'll put our justice as well. Abortion fund. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Jill. Thank you. This is fun. Thanks again, Perspectives Podcast listeners. This has been a really wonderful season. And before 
we stop recording for good. I just have one last message from my co-editor, Sophie. Thanks again and all the best to you. Hello, Perspectives listeners. I wanted to include a very transparent disclaimer about this episode. I hold something that is coined as a consistent life ethic, which values life from conception to natural death, and believes that all life at all stages and ages is worthy of respect and the resources to thrive. As a result, I don't condone or support the contents of this episode, and do not believe that the one in eight terminations of pregnancy in Minnesota promotes health or a culture of consistent life ethics. And because of that, I've chosen to take a step away from the production of this episode. I appreciate your understanding and appreciate all the listeners that have come to this channel <clears throat> who value diverse perspectives. So I hope that you remain nuanced and thoughtful as you listen to this episode and um, maintain sensitivity towards this controversial topic. Thank you.